Hello and welcome to the Food Climate Podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. Please like and subscribe share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, during this new episode of Founder Series, we sat down with Tristan Forster, co-founder and CEO at Climate Partner. Climate Partner helps businesses on the long journey of reducing and abating carbon emissions and enabling them to carbon footprint their emissions and offset unbattable emissions through the projects it has developed with its partners across the globe. Tristan's story was unique and fascinating and I was super excited and really enjoyed learning about his journey towards helping businesses be carbon neutral. Tristan has had a variety of experiences from early search engines to e-commerce startup, then to consulting before working for matchmaking software. Tristan joined Climate Partners 12 years ago and hasn't looked back since then, including Scope 3 emissions, retail accounts for 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions. In this episode, Tristan dissects how he helps retailers account for their carbon emissions and why double accounting is actually necessary for improving accountability. He then dove into the intricacies of retail and why emissions are so hard to offset, why that meant that Climate Partner had to exist, how he developed the company and how it works today. In the second part of the show, Tristan gives his tips on how to make it, even if your company functions as an involuntary nonprofit for several years. He then gives us a glimpse on ways he had found to reach a good work-life balance and what sources of information he uses to stay abreast of the climate landscape. Tristan, welcome to the show. Hi, Tristan. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. 
I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about your exciting adventure to decarbonize our economy and accelerate corporate climate action with Climate Partners. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Guillaume. I'm looking very much forward to our conversation. Thanks for having so, me. So you're welcome. And so before we start, uh, this is the tradition on the show now. Can you give us a 30 second intro about Climate Partners? Absolutely. So what do we do at Climate Partner? We um, enable businesses to take climate action. And how do we do that? In principle, we enable businesses to carbon footprint their business and their products. Uh, we help them on the long journey of reducing and abating carbon emissions. And uh, unabated emissions can be offset with our carbon offset projects that we develop ourselves and with partners all across the globe so that you can become a carbon neutral company or uh, offer carbon neutral products which we also label as such. So there is a label uh, that says that the product is carbon neutral and gets the transparency around all the climate action that these businesses are taking uh, to actually uh, move forward and, and going on their path to net zero. So let's start from the, from the top. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about your uh, personal story and background? What are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides building climate partners? I mean, what makes you feel you know, inspired or like your best self, as I always ask, like, who's Tristan? So what I really love about the, the, the combination of what we're doing is, is we're, we're working with businesses on taking climate action. Um, and the one thing is uh, the climate action part in itself. So the, the, the purpose of our company at Climate Partner is called improving lives. And uh, that's, that's what I live for actually every day, uh, improving lives um, in our business sense, especially in carbon offset projects where we're really helping the poorest people in this world, not only uh, reduce carbon emissions uh, or sequester carbon emissions, but actually improving their livelihoods, uh, getting them to school, uh, reducing poverty, uh, getting them an education, uh, making sure that they get work um, and to actually live better lives. Uh, all these sustainable development goals that are actually improved by carbon offset projects. But that only that only is restricted not only to the carbon offset projects but also to our people at Climate Partner, improving our own lives, the way we live and what we want to do, and the lives of our future generations, uh, which is why we're taking climate action. So that's that's the one thing I'm very passionate about: is improving lives, uh, topic and 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 purpose of Climate Partner. And what I love about the B2B business is that it's always a people business. So you're always in contact with other people because behind the businesses are the people actually driving this business. You know, very often in, in B2C businesses, you, you, it's, it's quite, can be quite impersonal because you're talking to a very, very large crowd of potential customers. But in the B2B area, you're constantly in contact with people that are passionate about, passionate about taking climate action and this going this collaborative journey together uh, with people that have a lot of leverage in their business. That's what I'm really passionate about. And I'm meeting all different kinds of businesses every single day and, and new people every single day uh, to drive this whole topic and also improving lives through this leverage. So tell us a bit uh, more about your you know, previous work and, and life experience. And I know that uh, you joined Climate Partners at a very, very early stage. I mean, you, you mentioned on your uh, profile that I think you were like five or ten employees at, uh, at that time. Uh, I mean, before the, the, the really like jumping into, uh, into Climate Partners, like what did you learn along the, the, the journey uh, that you had prior to that, uh, that in a way gave you an edge uh, to, uh, to, to really start off uh, the company? 
<laughs> it's, it's funny because if I talk to some people nowadays that, that, that knew me from all the way uh, earlier, they're saying I, I, came, I came from the dark side of the force and moved to the good side of the force <laughs> with, with Climate Partner. Uh, before that, I had lots of different experiences in different companies, uh, ranging from my first job was at a, at a startup. It was called Lycos uh, Europe, which was a, uh, actually a search engine at the time, second largest after Yahoo before Google overtook everything. Um, then, then moved to start my own company that crashed and burned in, in 2000 in e-commerce um, and then had a lot of experience in consulting. So strategy consulting for um, uh, financial services, something very different. Uh, before moving into a business, back in, into the digital business again for online matchmaking. So uh, very different areas of experience that I could then actually use for Climate Partner coming from the consulting background, but also the digital background and combining that for, for the, the, the skills for, for Climate Partner, which I joined now more than 12 years ago. Um, and so my, my best friend Moritz, uh, Moritz Lehmkuhl had, had founded Climate Partner in the meantime, and I was able to join them uh, five years after he had founded the company uh, with, like you said, very few people at the time um, and for a very long time staying a very small company until the last recent years uh, where we've actually seen this. So you mentioned this, um, you know, these different hats that you uh, were wearing uh, in your previous life before, like uh, client partners or being on, on the dark side of the forest, as you were mentioning. But what has been your, your driver in a way to, to jump into this uh, climate, you know, that we call today climate tech industry? Uh, any specific aha moment uh, that you can recall or would define as such that really uh, helped you to do that jump? So maybe that, that jump came at a lot earlier stage, but was kind of incepted in, in me when I was young. I grew up in a, in a German town called uh, Freiburg. Um, and Freiburg is known in Germany as the, the greenest town uh, in Germany. So uh, they're very, very early. They were the, I think the first uh, uh, mayor uh, that came from the Green Party uh, as, as a mayor of the city. And um, I actually, I separated my, my I, you know, I separated, I recycled my, my uh, my garbage when I when I, before I went to school even, so uh, it was at a very early stage that I got in, in contact with these things. I know my 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 uh, parents-in-law and now my brother-in-law, they have an organic winery. So um, it's, I've always been in contact with this topic around sustainability. Um, and while I was working as a consultant and then and moving into the tech area, um, and I've been to so many tech conferences and know a lot of a lot of very, very successful tech founders uh, in the realm. Um, and I came to a point where I said, okay, my next step would be either to found my own, I would want to found my own business. I want to become an entrepreneur again. And um, uh, I was seeing what Moritz was doing with Climate Partner. And I said, wow, it, it hadn't, it wasn't working yet, but the, the vision was there that it could be a really interesting company because we were very early stage in 2006 when it was founded, 2011 when I joined. A very early stage in the sense of wow is, is, is this going to be a company that's viable that actually businesses want to get consulting and so software solutions and climate action but the point was that if i found a business i want to be giving something back to society and to contribute to society every single day working eight, at least eight hours a day mostly 10 12 even more hours a day uh, and, and and contribute to what, what you're doing at work and why not have something 
where you actually contribute positively to society rather than just growing revenues and, and becoming profitable. So that was my goal at that point. And I was started looking and I said, what, what can I do to actually achieve this goal? Because I was seeing what Moritz was doing. Um, and then we kind of got into more and more conversations around the topic and we decided to join forces uh, and to do that together uh, because we had had a company early, 10 years earlier and it had, that had not worked, but, uh, but now uh, Climate Partner was there. And I knew that if I want to do something, and it, it wasn't that easy really to find any kind of business models that would actually work in that sense. To have uh, most businesses at the time in, the, in that realm were NGOs. And I definitely didn't want to uh, build an NGO because I'm not the type. I, want, I wanted to have a sustainable, efficient, uh, um, uh, profit-driven business because that drives efficiency and drives scale. Um, and so we joined forces at Climate Partner. That was a driver. I said, I really want to copy this model that Moritz had, but uh, if you can't beat him, join him. So we, we joined forces there and that's what gave me the, the passion for Climate Partner. So before we go uh, and start to go into detail about uh, Climate Partners, uh, I would like to zoom out and kind of understand this this overall context that you are, you know, surfing on, and more specifically, uh, based on our prior discussion, uh, we'd like to get your uh, your insight and overview of the impact uh, that uh, retail can have on, on on climate change. And maybe we, you know, we can start with like your uh, larger definition of of retail and the, the insights uh, that you have regarding. Uh, which uh, part of the, the retailers are the, the, the main emitters and, and their respective emission uh, contribution to the, the whole uh, um, you know, uh, GSG uh, emission uh, that, that we have today. Definitely. Let, let, let me give you a little bit of a segue why we're talking about retail in, in the first place. Um, is, is in the end, uh, at Climate Partner, we developed a label that you can put on a product uh, that says that the product is carbon neutral. And, that is something that is very strong for consumers to make choices uh, along, uh, you know, am I, am I consuming a, a, let's say a more carbon friendly or more sustainable product, which all of a sudden brought retailers um, onto, uh, onto the idea of, oh, that's, how, that's a way that I can actually depict to my customers that I'm taking climate action. Um, so that's how we, we as Climate Partner got involved in the retail industry uh, all of a sudden because it's on products and, and retailers sell, sell consumer products. Um, and, and so we got involved with the retail industry, I would say, uh, very strongly starting with a large retailer in, in, in Germany, uh, Aldi, you often know internationally, uh, in 2018. And um, so we had a look at the industry and uh, it's very interesting to see uh, the, the uh, development in the industry, in the retail industry, because the point is, if you're looking at carbon emissions, uh, you typically uh, are doing a carbon footprint of a, of a business, you typically divide them into three different so-called scopes. Um, so if you're looking at the scope one of, of the emissions of a, uh, of a retailer uh, specifically, uh, you're looking at where do they combust uh, fossil fuels uh, to generate energy, for example, uh, the, the themselves, or where do they have leakage in, in, in cooling agents for their refrigeration that they need, especially in the food retail industry. So that's something where they directly have an influence on, on producing carbon emissions. And, and, and secondly, what was very strong, uh, what was being looked at as a scope two emissions is um, that's any kind of energy that I procure, like electricity and heating and, and, and uh, potentially cooling as well, that I buy from, from third parties or from utilities uh, and energy producers. So that is something that retailers really 
have looked at for a very long time because they know it. It's in their stores. Most of the retail industry is still in, in, in stores. Uh, it's only about 23% on online. The rest is all still in stores. So it's, um, it's uh, 76 uh, 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 77% of retail overall globally is still done in stores. So they're looking at their stores, my electricity, my, my, my lighting, my cooling and things like that. So all of a sudden, this new initiative comes along called Science-Based Targets uh, is an, a global NGO initiative saying, well, you have to, as a business, have to commit to reducing your carbon footprints, uh, carbon footprint along a science-based methodology coming to a net zero base by 2050, which is uh, where we all need to be headed as a global economy. And all of a sudden science-based targets as well, you as a retailer, you have to be responsible for your so-called scope three emissions. And scope three emissions are indirect emissions that are caused by your activities as a business. So now guess what the scope three emissions are for retailers? It's the products that they sell. Um, and the products that they sell, first of all, have, have the huge carbon footprint from where they're being produced by suppliers or by vendors before that are brands. Um, and they also have a huge carbon footprint when consumers use those products in the end. And all of a sudden, uh, retailers are faced with the responsibility for the products that they're selling. And guess what? Those scope three emissions make up in the end, 90 to 98% of the emissions of these retailers. And if you add that all up, and you ask for some, some statistics around that, if you add that all up and you're looking at the whole scope three emissions of all retailers out there, and alone in the US, there's more than a million retailers, and the very, very long tail retailers, you have a lot of big ones as well. I can talk about that a little bit in a second too. But in the end, if you look at this whole assessment uh, by a study by BCG that's been done, Retail is responsible for, now hold tight, 25% of all global emissions. If you include all the scope three emissions, so all the, the, the producing the, the, uh, of products, uh, the packaging of those products, distributing them, getting them to consumers, consumers actually utilizing these products accounts for, it always depends how you slice the cake, but in yeah. the end, retail in that sense is responsible for a quarter of all global greenhouse gas emissions. And if you think about that, that uh, global greenhouse gas emissions per year that are being emitted are, are 35 gigatons. Um, so that's more than 8 billion tons that retail is responsible for globally. So you can imagine what the influence is that retail can have on actually abating these emissions or all of a sudden has these, this responsibility that they didn't feel they had before. Um, mm -hmm. And this has been happening in the past few years. And, and, and there is the, the big, really interesting thing is, how do you abate this? How do you cope with this? Because if you're only actually directly responsible, let's say scope one and scope two emissions as a, as a textile retailer, that's 2% of your emissions. And all the others are caused by the producers of the goods that you're selling that you're actually not, you know, you're just, you're just, you're actually just buying and selling these products in the end. Um, but how do you actually get a grip on that? And that's that's where the, the huge difficulty comes in for retailers mm. to, to speak and collaborate with their supply chain.
So out of your curiosity, I mean, in, in this calculation, and, and you guys are like uh, highly specialized in calculating all of that, like how do you avoid like a double accounting uh, between what the retailers is taking into account in terms of like all of those scope three emissions and making sure that the producer of like those goods uh, are not then accounted into the, 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 the same pie and where do you draw the, the, the line as well? Uh, in you know this cascade uh, effect where finally the, the final uh, I would say the retailer or the final vendor uh, is you know carrying the hat for everybody who's not maybe doing the best job prior to that. So um, to to be clear, double counting is wanted in the system, right? Because you want to get this responsibility on several shoulders, um, and you want to get the the push of actually being able to reduce these carbon emissions and and actually assessing different different activities that, that, that businesses are having um, and making them responsible for that. So, you know, otherwise you're always just blaming somebody else. Okay, you take care of your own things and, and I'm, I'm not responsible. I'm as a retailer, I'm not responsible for the shampoo emissions that I'm selling or the shirt emissions. Uh, I'm not responsible for that. And that's what's been happening. So, no, 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 but you are responsible for that as well, despite the fact that you are not specifically generating the carbon emissions that that you know somebody weaving the material for this shirt is generating in india somewhere so you explicitly want to this double counting to enforce this collaboration on reducing uh, emissions typically if you look at it at a macroeconomic level um you would cancel you could cancel out every double counting by simply counting the scope one emissions period so only the scope one emissions where i'm actually causing direct uh, carbon emissions through uh, you know producing energy uh, or uh, agriculture or chemical processes in manufacturing things like that that's where the scope one emissions would come in and the scope two emissions buying energy from utilities are the scope one emissions of the utilities that is you see and the scope three emissions are distributed and double counted definitely across all the different industries but that's the mechanism that you that, that actually the, the the methodology behind it wants to trigger so that uh, a, a store let's 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 take a store let's take a let's look at i don't know walmart selling a a, 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 a men's shirt interestingly enough you know i mean this is a white men's shirt you know how many tiers that typically an average has over the production of a one single men's shirt 13 13 tiers meaning 13 industrial steps to produce a shirt produced by 13 different companies so that's from from producing the cotton uh, to uh, weaving uh, the, the material to to uh, to weaving the, the the threads and producing the buttons um, and, and that that whole thing goes around the world imagine so you're producing uh, uh, cotton in India it's manufactured somewhere in Vietnam um, and in the end it's it, it's shipped uh, uh, to, to Europe uh, to to be you know uh, for, for all the, the design around and it's another finishing step somewhere else in the world and it's being sold somewhere in the US. So it's crazy for this single shirt, who all is in, involved. But in the end, you'll have Walmart saying, hey, listen, I'm only responsible for the lights in my house and the, in, in my shop and the, uh, you know, and the bit of the logistics behind. And that's, that's, where the, that's where it comes in. So no, you have to start to work with your main emissions producers in your supply chain to think about how can I actually reduce, how can I actually get green energy, for example, into the, the, the weaving companies of the material. Mm. So, that's, so that's the interesting part. 
according to you in this, uh, you know, and you mentioned this example of the shirt, I, I heard about the, the, the jeans, Levi's jeans or whatever, like example also that uh, were touring the, the world uh, prior to, uh, to, to land in the, the customer hands. But uh, what, what I'd like, if you could like maybe mention one or two uh, challenges and, and opportunity that, uh, that you see uh, in the market to accelerate this decarbonization of the, the retail industry in general. I mean, and maybe taking a little bit more like the angle of like the, the, the regulation that uh, which one are currently in place to, to drive this uh, decarbonization and maybe if you can you know tell us which one are maybe missing I mean we always you know hear about uh, carbon taxes or the hypothesis uh, uh, behind that so I mean what's blocking in a way and slowing down this this decarbonization of the retail uh, retail industry. So there's there's two big leverages that, that, that regulation can actually have um, on, on any big task that, that has to be solved in, in some, some sort of way. If, if, if you look on the one hand side, it's either through incentives, so subsidies in the end, so that actually the state investing into certain areas, um, or it's taxation. So um, uh, putting a bad on a certain behavior that the industry is having. Um, both work in a certain in a certain way. So you have regulation. If you look regulations in Europe uh, on um, on cars, for example, so there's a regulation and it's getting more and more strict on the emissions that a car is actually allowed to have as an overall fleet of new cars being produced um, uh, that that has emissions per per per, kilo, per 100 kilometers uh, that you have to that you have to be lower than. And if you don't adhere to that, you you have to pay. Uh, tremendous amounts of, 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 of taxation on that in order to adhere to the system. So that's one way of, of, of regulating. Another way of, of uh, regulating is incentivizing uh, research and development, for example. So if you look at the development of the internet, that was actually a big, huge uh, investment of the US government uh, in, in, into military tech that came up with the internet in, in the end. And that's benefiting the whole society uh, globally, uh, of course. So I'm, I'm more of a friend of the incentivizing part of things. That's what's happening for incentivizing the use of green energy, for example. So uh, in the US, new regulations are coming up um, uh, around um, the, the uh, um, uh, lowering inflation act uh, in the end, or the counterinflation act that's being set up by the, the Biden administration. Um, that, that's helping a lot, but it's still not getting us where we actually want, want to be. It's, it's one of the reasons uh, also we founded, uh, we found a climate partner in the beginning is to say we can't wait for regulation to come because it's too slow. Um, carbon tax, there's always schemes being set up, but very often too, uh, not, not, not strict enough. So you don't have, you don't have incentives really to, to, to move into that. And, and there's still a lot happening on the voluntary basis. So. What I think is a very strong lever is if several parties work together, and that's a bit what's missing. So what's missing is definitely regulation. If you if you would have stronger regulation around, you know, incentivizing uh, using renewable energy or investing into renewable technology or or technology climate tech in general, that would be great. Uh, you know, um, uh, penalizing. Uh, the, the, the use of, of, of coal, for example, to generate energy, um, that would work. But also uh, investors um, have a huge leverage 
who do the investors actually give money to? And, and, and the investors are actually saying more and more, uh, you see from, from uh, Larry Fink from, from BlackRock constantly saying, well, you, we only want to invest in sustainable businesses in the end. Why? Because there's a huge risk for them to invest in businesses that are you know, fossil fuel based because they know that's first of all is a finite resource. Secondly, there's a huge risk in actually making these industries going out of business because it's the right thing to do and that's the way the, the economy is moving and we have to get there. So they're actually reassessing their investments uh, to, to actually more sustainable uh, businesses. And I think the, the combination of regulation combined with investment, so making investment more lucrative and maybe even sponsoring that as an incentive into reducing carbon emissions in retail, we're talking about into the supply chain, into vendors and the production. That is something that is that could really accelerate the topic, uh, other than uh, simply, you know, uh, uh, voluntary action. Um, there's a strong argument for voluntary action on top of though as well, because uh, you see with our new generation, Generation Z coming up, uh, generations that are actually demanding. So it's, there's a lot of consumer demand there, demanding more sustainable ways of production, more sustainable ways of moving forward, um, and actually willing to pay for that as well, actually willing to, to pay a premium on more sustainable goods. Um, they are, are also, uh, you know, voting by feet, you know, voting, I'm going to consume this product rather than another product. And, and uh, vendors and, and retailers are picking up on that and says, oh, well, I see that to satisfy the, the demand, the more sustainable demand coming from consumers, I have to produce my goods differently. I have to cooperate differently with producers and suppliers in order to deliver more sustainable products um, in the end. So let's take an example of that. Let's move away from the, 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 re, the, the shirts and the jeans uh, that we talked about. Let's look at food. Food is very interesting uh, to look at because if you're looking at uh, the consumer side of things, uh, you know, which is pretty much common knowledge in the meantime, is that consuming meat, uh, it's on the, the, the gram of protein you get out of a, 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 out of a kilogram of, of, of meat um, is much more uh, effective on, on carbon emissions if you move away from meat. So beef has like four times the emissions of a, a piece of chicken. And chicken, again, has four times uh, the, the uh, amount of carbon emissions uh, then let's say tofu. So almost beef has almost 10 times the carbon emissions of, 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 of tofu for the amount of protein you get out of it, because you're actually feeding, you're feeding beef, uh, you know, the soy, instead of making tofu out of it, that you consume directly, that is turning actually into, into a, 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 a kilogram of meat that you would consume later on. At the meantime, emitting uh, tons and tons of carbon emissions uh, through, through uh, methane that, that they, that that, that cows produce by regurgitating, um, you know, and, and, and by their feces. So in the end, it's, it's, it has to do a lot with consumer, um, uh, the way consumers behave. And if you can, that's where climate tech interesting comes in as, as well. So we're not only talking about climate tech in the deep tech sense of things, but climate tech also in the sense of food technology. So how can I actually satisfy the demand of more and more protein being demanded by consumers? You know, also a lot of consumers coming into the middle class in, in countries like India and China that all of a sudden want to consume meat. We can't sustain the world on, 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 on meat, but we can potentially find substitutes for meat. And that's what I mean with a food tech uh, comes in. You know, companies like Impossible that have actually made uh, uh, meat that is not meat really tastes good. 
Um, and that's just the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg of what can happen through transition. So it's the demand from consumers coming in. Listen, I still want to have that meaty taste, that umami meat taste. But it, so if you don't if you don't produce a product that tastes like that, I'm not going to buy it. I'm still going to stick with meat. But if there's all of a sudden a huge selection of that that is driven by retail, that is driven by producers, that is driven by innovative new companies coming into the sector, all of a sudden you have a choice and you can choose a much more climate friendly uh, substitute for things. So just on this, on, this, on this example of a meat substitute or a dairy substitute, that's where you have to start to, to, to work together. And that's where we're seeing a lot of collaboration happening with large retailers working, for example, with, uh, with dairy producers. Because how do I get that, that, that carbon footprint of milk reduced by looking at what do I feed the cow <laughs> in the end? Or where does the cow graze? How can I combine you know, animal uh, welfare together with a lower carbon footprint on the product I'm producing? Um, or how can I actually substitute uh, for this? And, and, and that's where the, that's the, the, the big keyword and the big, the, the big challenge that we have is collaboration across supply chains uh, that has not been there before. You know, before it's always, always the, the retailer is in the end, the food retailer is the one buying, purchasing and has the purchasing power. And as well, you have to deliver me a liter of milk for 49 cents, you know, uh, and that's it. That's, that's what we're negotiating on. And now they're all of a sudden saying, ah, maybe I actually don't want to buy that milk. And maybe I want to make sure that, that the carbon footprint of the milk has, is also a criteria that I'm looking at when buying milk to sell to my consumers. This collaboration, that's a huge, huge topic that is that is extremely necessary and it's coming privately, so on, on, the, on the voluntary side of the, the privately held companies, but that could also be a huge incentive set up by, by regulation to, to drive it forward. So, and thanks for, for sharing this uh, more like holistic view. And I think that the collaboration aspect is uh, always probably the, the, the most challenging uh, part of it. Um, but according to you and, and, and to close this section, uh, based on your data points, like, I mean, which sectors uh, in the, the, the retail industry that uh, you guys are covering and that uh, you study, uh, I mean, on, on a daily basis, I would say, do you see like, at, extremely hard uh, and difficult to, to, to deploy those, uh, you know, alternative and, you know, that can provide, um, I would say, like um, accurate and, and, and efficient uh, ways to produce something different that are like uh, uh, climate friendly, uh, I would say, do you see like, uh, you know, maybe subcategories or sectors where it's really difficult and where uh, it's ex excessively like uh, challenging at this time to, to do it. So I must unfortunately say it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's very difficult to say this is the most challenging. So if you talk to the food industry, they're saying we have the most challenging part because um, we, we, we are trying to, to face consumer demand. Let's take uh, mineral water. You know, mineral water, and in, in, in especially in, in, in Europe, uh, also, in, 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 we're, we're buying bottled water. We're putting water into bottles and shipping it across, you know, miles and miles of, of, of distance to sell water to consumers that actually take, just get it out of the tap. But they're, they're you know, they're, they're actually adhering to consumer demand because somehow they've set up the myth that, they, that, that 
water from bottles is healthier than out of the water tap, which is not true. Uh, you know, they, it's there. There is no trade-off there in the end. Uh, it's just about branding and things like that. So yeah, the food industry will say we have huge, huge challenges on the packaging side. So how do I actually package this water? Is it in, in, in PET? Is it is it in glass? Uh, do I have recyclables? Do I have a system behind it? Uh, so that, that's a huge challenge on a very simple product already that just puts water in bottles and ships it from A to B. And then it's the shipping itself. That's interesting for any kind of in, industry. Uh, how do I get a product from A to B? So transportation in, in the U.S., for example, is one of, is, is probably the highest uh, one of the highest sectors of carbon emission factors because well, it's huge. The U.S. is huge, and if you're if you're importing from uh, some, from Asia, it ends up in a port in San Francisco. How do you get that product to Washington D.C.? You have to ship it across the whole country, and the other way around if something comes from Europe. So the, the transportation industry is there. So you have to look at the single uh, single slots within the industry. If you're looking at the cosmetics industry, um, let's say, or let's say, take an example, uh, I always like, is it the detergent industry? Because you know, uh, consumer goods, I'm, 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 I wanna wash my, back to the jeans, I need to wash the jeans and uh, I'm wearing the jeans. And the big question is also double and triple counting. Who do I assess? The, actually the usage of my clothing to, do I assess it to the jeans? Do I assess it to the, the detergent? So, because I have to wash my jeans, right? And if I'm washing my jeans and I don't have green energy, that's depending on how often I wash my jeans, I'm actually, uh, you know, uh, producing carbon emissions because I'm uh, procuring brown energy because it's burning coal somewhere to wash my jeans. So now the jeans are saying, well, I have to assess it to the jeans, the washing of the jeans. The detergent people say, well, no, but I have to assess it to my detergent because it's about 10, the factor is only 10% of the detergent's production, but like 90% are the use of the detergent. Do you assess it to the washing machine that you actually bought or do you assess it to your personal electricity use? So I know for myself, I, I, I procure green energy. So I've completely lowered that part and I, I've been wearing these pair of jeans that I have on for the for the past 10 years. So it's a lot about behavior there as well. But if you're looking at the industries, every single industry in retail has their challenges. Consumer electronics as well. So the consumer electronics is, uh, you know, I have, my, I have my phone here that you probably have lying around there as well. Um, they're incentivizing buying a new phone every two years. Uh, because that's how they grow their their revenues and their sales. But do you need a new phone every two years? Definitely not. Uh, but the the production consumer electronics with, with all the metals that you have in here and 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 the glass, it's huge carbon footprint for for the product. So it's it's um, it's it's a bit a contradiction between capitalism and and and, and saving the environment because that's that's always the thing that we have uh, trying to generate growth. Um, but the big question is how do I get, how can I still generate growth with more sustainable products uh, and with a much, much, much lower carbon footprint? And that's where all industries can learn from one another. Um, look at look at e-commerce, also a huge, huge topic. The huge challenge for e-commerce, for example, is the is the last mile. So, you know, you can ship in bulk. You can ship in bulk on 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 on, on ships from Asia to to the U.S., for example, or to Europe. Um, that has a fairly low carbon footprint per product in the end, per kilogram of product. But in the end, you, and, and then you ship it to your central distribution uh, area that you have. And from that central distribution, you might ship it to the store. So, but in e-commerce, you have your central distribution unit, and then you ship it to the consumer in the end. 
So that last mile, of course, as a huge retailer, let's look at the largest uh, retailer uh, overall, Amazon, has a topic of how do I, that, that's where they're really responsible for is, of course, this last mile of delivering mm -hmm. product to the consumer. Mm -hmm. um, and the last mile is always the most inefficient uh, because you don't always get this cars full and it's always driving back and forth uh, and how to get that product to the consumer. And the big challenge there is how do I get these vehicles to run on, for example, electricity and run on renewable energy, which is a great idea or, or you know, on, on, on other types of, of uh, fuel that is carbon neutral, uh, like synthetic fuels uh, or, or hydrogen and things like that. But let's take electricity. Um, now they're having a huge issue of actually getting those cars on the road because of supply chain issues that we're having in the past three years due to the pandemic and to the you know, zero COVID strategy uh, of, uh, in, in China. And now uh, a huge uh, procurement topic with, with the Ukraine crisis that we're having. So they are having trouble reaching their goals on moving to more electric, electric vehicles with renewable energy, which would really lower their carbon footprint on distribution because of supply chain issues. So you see, it's difficult to pinpoint that's the industry with those the most challenges the most challenges but it's it's i think it's across the whole retail industry selling uh, consumer goods selling clothing selling uh, dyi uh, articles uh, they all have a similar problem and that's i have to work with a producer i have to work with the vendor who produces the goods and i have to re reduce the carbon emissions of the usage of a product at the end of the cycle because that's all that together is more than 90 percent So now let's go deeper into uh, into climate partners. I mean, what's the story behind it, and uh, for who is it? I mean, which gap did you guys identify uh, initially that led to the to the current version of of climate partners, and in a way, why did climate partners uh, have to exist? Absolutely. So, so um, after after Morris and I had our first company in in, in two thousand, and we went broke. <laughs> I, I needed the money, so I joined a consulting company and was, was lucky there. Uh, Moritz went on to, to, to uh, do different independent things, but at one point in time, and he had been with an investment bank before, there was a, there was a, a spin-off from this investment bank. And they were um, actually um, doing projects for the European uh, Union um, in, in climate action, so developing carbon offset projects and trying to get funding for, for actually getting climate action uh, moving forward. Um, and uh, at one point in time, they, they were trying all different kinds of things, and it, it was very, very difficult to constantly have to get funding from the European Union and have ideas, and they ended up somewhere in a drawer, and nobody ever used them. Um, but at one point in time, Moritz approached the, the German Postal Service. Um, German Postal Service, now pretty much known across the world as DHL, after it's been privatized, um, and approached them and said, listen, I have an idea. Why don't you... Why don't you uh, send your packages, since we're talking about sending in last mile uh, before, why don't you send your packages carbon neutrally? So I can, I can tell you what the carbon emissions are of sending a package, um, and we can offset these emissions with carbon offset projects. So that is carbon neutral. And then everybody would profit from that because the consumer thinks that's great, has a contribution to that, that it's good for the business. Um, and maybe even Climate Partner could be, you know, uh, build a business out of, out, out of that consulting the, the, the German postal service <laughs> and they said you know what Moritz great idea thank you very much but we don't need you for that <laughs> we could do that on our own <laughs> so 
that was the first door closed, but it opened up the door to the idea of actually, you know, enabling businesses to to take climate action um, and setting up a system of it's very similar across for, for every kind of business. Um, how how do I, what are my carbon emissions? What are the carbon emissions of my of my product? Um, and and how can I reduce these? And and how can I actually uh, mitigate them through carbon offset projects? And that was where the idea of Climate Partner was born. And um, it, then then we came by really by chance uh, into an industry that you would not imagine uh, that that we actually that got our breakthrough uh, of of things. Um, and if you would lock a lot of scientists and, and, and great minds and consultants into one room and give them a whole week time, they would never come up with this one industry. And that was the printing industry. Interestingly enough. Um, so why the printing industry? Well, we, we in, in Germany at the time, that's where Climate Partner started. Uh, at that time, there were 12,000 printing companies out there. I mean, every village had their own printing company, printing some kind of, you know, postcards and flyers and pamphlets and stuff like that, and sustainability reports and, 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 and year annual reports and so on. Uh, but they're having trouble because of digitization uh, and a big online printing companies coming about and they're all going broke. I mean, this was we were family businesses, you know, four or five people working there and they're all going broke. And, and we had a friend who was had an, an advertising agency and he said, listen, don't you guys have an idea? for these printing industries that are really in trouble. And we said, well, you know, we've got nothing to lose. We didn't have any many customers at the time. So, okay, well, let's set up a calculator to calculate the carbon footprint of a printing business. And let's set up a second calculator that calculates the carbon emissions of a print job. So like printing an annual report, for example. And, and then we'll offset these emissions with a carbon offset project. And we'll put a label on, on, on the print product. that says this product has been printed carbon neutrally. Let's see what happens. And it worked because all of a sudden you had the printing companies, they could, they didn't have to pay for that. They just, they, 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 they handed the price on to the print buyers. Then the price was only about half a percent, 1% extra on top of the print job. And for that, they would get a carbon neutral annual report that said on it, it's, it's carbon neutral. And they said, oh, oh, wow. This actually underlines my sustainability activities, you know, and then putting the, the money where the mouth is. I, I'm, I'm making sure that the print jobs that I'm doing are carbon neutral. And it had for us the advantage that our label was on it and said our, our name on it. So all of a sudden we had huge, you know, eyeballs on, on, on what we're doing there as well through, through this mechanism. And then we had at one point kind of 100, 200 printing companies in our portfolio. And we said, oh, we, we know this, we, we can't just drive around all of Germany. Uh, with, an, with a laptop and an Excel table and calculate carbon emissions. We have to develop software for that to make it accessible uh, through, through software as a service. And that's what happened then. So in 2009, we started developing software around transforming this print business calculation into a software as a service on carbon footprinting, reducing and offsetting carbon emissions. And that was the seed that, that was sown at the time. Um, and then many, many years, nothing happened at all. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to get into other industries um, and we tried to get into the packaging industry uh, and many, many years later, it's all of a sudden it started to work that the packaging industry was also interested and then through packaging then consumer goods and through the consumer goods industries, then we're back, that closes the loop, back to the retail industry uh, that, that uses actually the same system, uh, but in a much more sophisticated way, of course, that we've had ever since 2009 to develop this, this software as a service. And very, very importantly, combined with consulting, sort of the personal service for the businesses um, out there. 
Mm. So it sounds like really like this uh, time to market. Uh, you guys were like uh, able to to crunch it and uh, and cross the chasm before like this uh, new uh, influx of like uh, you know interest and, and and necessary need of like companies to change. Like that happened probably around like and you probably felt it around like. 2019, 2020, uh, I guess that's where uh, you felt uh, this acceleration. So if you can tell us a bit more about uh, the, the product side uh, in itself um, and maybe not going into uh, each details, but kind of like give us like this, uh, you know, uh, value chain and help us to visualize how uh, Climate Partners work like as a, as a new company. If I want to get, a, you know, work with you guys, uh, what's the onboarding process looks like, uh, what's the outcome? Um, the support that uh, you guys, uh, you know, give to uh, to the to the companies. I mean, like, let let us understand your your secret sauce there. Oh, def definitely. I think maybe the, the 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 one thing to look at is what we're trying to to do and what differentiates us from other competitors in the market is that we are really a one stop shop in climate action for businesses. So we have a portfolio of things that we can do for businesses, and you can. So we we. We enable businesses to go to go their next level of climate action on their climate action journey, no matter where they're at. So if you're talking to a, a business that is really small, has never, never done anything in climate action, we can start with them. But we can also work with, let's say, a bank that's been doing taking climate action for the last 15, 20 years, but but still can't get, you know, the carbon footprint in their portfolio moving um, or to procure them, procure offsets and develop their own personal offset projects for them. So it's a one-stop shop. Once you start working with Climate Partner, you can, can actually enter at any point and you can actually get services from any point. But if you go through the value chain, let's say you haven't done anything in, in, in climate action so far. Um, let's say you are the producer of, I don't know, one one that we did this with uh, cosmetics, right? Because it's also like a link again to uh, to to the to the retail industry. Uh, so like, like like typically creams and and uh, shampoos, and it's a company that's very sustainable because they they produce natural cosmetics. And they approached us uh, one time and said, "Listen, um, I heard that you are that that, that you uh, have in your portfolio uh, businesses that that produce carbon neutral packaging." So it's, yes, that's that's the case. So we enable them to procure businesses with carbon neutral packaging. And then they said, oh, wow, that's, you know, in carbon neutral packaging, that's only one part of, of the whole product, you know, and it's, they're saying, well, it says carbon neutral packaging. That's not, you know, that, why carbon neutral packaging? Why don't you do the whole product? Said, well, yes, but give the businesses time. And that's what we're really looking at is, is giving entry points for businesses to take climate action, not having to climb Mount Everest in one, you know, in one way, you go to the base camp first um, and then you start moving. And then all of a sudden, they started to go through the whole process with us. Okay, understood. How do we do this now in a real comprehensive way? Well, first you have to start with a carbon footprint of your business. Um, and that's where we have this, the software developed. So we, we, we request data from this company, consumption data, and that's very important. Real consumption data on the products, and the, 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 the raw materials that they have, the packaging that they have, the logistics that they're setting up. Uh, you know, they, everything that goes into the energy of producing these goods with their, their partners. And they, then you get a carbon footprint of the business. And then you say, okay, well, let's break it down to the products would be then the second step. So how much does this one shampoo actually uh, emit uh, if it's produced? And then you look at the different rows of shampoos and the creams and so on. 
and you can do a little bit of bundling around that, but you can really pinpoint and say, okay, this shampoo with this uh, with this packaging, uh, with this logistics around it that I need, has a carbon footprint of X. So now you know the product carbon footprint. And once you have the company carbon footprint and the product carbon footprint, then you can pinpoint the highlights, the high you know high energy drivers, the high carbon footprint drivers in in those products. So is it is it the packaging? Is it you know, is it the cosmetics itself? Is it the energy that I'm using? Is it the energy of my suppliers that I have to look at? And then you could set up a, a climate action strategy on how to get maybe science-based even to reduce your carbon footprint as much as possible. And if you're adhering to science-based targets initiatives, you want to be down by 90% down by 2050 at the latest so that you only have 10% left. And the, the point is today you can't just switch a switch and move to zero carbon emissions. That's that's the problem. So you need a way to abate or to, to mitigate these, these these carbon emissions. And one methodology there is is to uh, to offset these emissions that you can't abate at the moment uh, with carbon offset projects. And that's the next step where where we develop uh, carbon offset projects across the globe from forestation projects, afforestation projects, you know, uh, clean energy projects, uh, 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 blue carbon. So Things like mangrove uh, plantations, uh, clean cook stoves, and things like that to to actually offset these emissions. So at the end, you have a carbon neutral product, and then the whole thing, the whole cycle starts again because the main issue and the, the most difficulty in business is actually to reduce your carbon emissions, mm -hmm. and that means it takes investments, it takes decisions of rechanging re your your production facilities and so on. So. And that's, that's where, we, where we accompany the whole business. In the end, we're also there to help them communicate what they're doing to their consumers so that they have a credible and, and believable story around their, their climate action journey. So uh, I'd like to take a, you know, a little step back and double click on the, the, the data uh, that uh, yeah. you guys capture. Like, I mean, like, how do you ensure that the, the quality, the accuracy uh, of them and like, um, you know, you described the, the example of uh, the cosmetic companies, but uh, I mean, as I presume, you are working with uh, many different uh, type of companies using different type of systems, producing different type of products. So how do you, um, you know, ensure that uh, your system, your platform, your software is able to capture the right data uh, at the right time to provide the right, uh, you know, results? What is the uh, ratio between the real emission uh, at the end of the day that are produced and what you assess. Uh, are we at 100% or are we at 90%, 60%? Um, and, um, and, and, and probably it's really, I think uh, they're also uh, interesting to, to understand is like, I mean, how do you, um, you know, ensure that uh, with, uh, with, with your customers? Uh, is it automated or is it uh, still a lot of uh, manual work? Yeah, so that's the the where does let, let's start at the very beginning to get a carbon footprint. You need two data sets. It's actually quite simple. <laughs> you need consumption data. So how much let's take how much PET goes into the packaging of a of a shampoo, right? You need to know how many times am I procuring and using actually to produce this. So you need this data point, and that's something that we get from the companies. Or you need the data point of how much electricity are you procuring. Um, in the course of the year for, for your operation. So these are the, these are the consumption data that, that we look at. This is re real data. This is 
data that we get from them. It is data that is validatable also through their balance sheet. It's validatable through their annual reports. You can actually use data that, that they have. The second data point is what we call the so-called emission factor. So that's the, the factor to calculate how many emissions actually come from this, this PET that's being produced. And um, this emission factor is something that, that we have on our side. And so that's one thing where we make things easy for our uh, customers. Um, most systems demand that you have both data points, that you research both data points. You have the consumption data and you have the emission factor and you have to say which one, which is the emission factor. But there's thousands and ten thousands of emission factors out there and different, different procurers of, or different suppliers that deliver these emission factors. And you have to find out the right one for exactly this PET. That's what we do in our systems to enable this uh, to have at least this one factor in the equation that is very very simple so what what does what does our what does what our customer needs to deliver is all the all the consumption data in there um interestingly enough how do we make sure that that is correct is first of all it's the same numbers that they have in their systems that they need for the annual report so if they the companies don't have an incentive to name the wrong numbers because it would, it would be, there would be a discrepancy with their annual report. And large you know, uh, companies, especially uh, 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 companies in the stock market that are the listed companies, they have to have the carbon footprint audited as well. It has to be the same numbers as in the, uh, as, as, as in the annual report. So there, and there is absolutely, absolutely no incentive to cheat on sustainability data. That's, that's the worst thing you can do. That'll fall right back on your feet. So what can happen is mistakes, of course. Uh, you know, you have a wrong unit behind that or, or you, you, you forgot to get certain data into the system. And that's something that we work with, uh, with our customers to do validation points within the software, within the system, but also validation points uh, manually uh, in the end. Uh, we're taking, you know, probes and saying, is this the right data? Does it make sense? Is it logical? that's behind that so um on the emission factors we just have so much experience in the meantime and we have a huge huge team around data that make sure make sure that we have the right emission factors to calculate the footprint um the whole system is also auditable by third parties so uh, for like i said listed companies get their their carbon footprints also uh, audited I would say the accuracy accuracy part, we always, if you're offsetting the emissions in the end, we always add an error margin of 10%, mm -hmm. um, just to make sure that, that some minor mistakes are, are accounted for in this error margin. Um, I think that the accuracy is fairly high, uh, but it's still, if, if you're looking at this PET, if you don't have primary data of this PET produced, let's see, let's say by a chemicals company, you know exactly this PET comes from exactly this chemicals company, and they have an exact carbon footprint. There, the error margin is very small in the end. But if you know it's they procured somewhere from Asia, then you take an average emission factor for Asian PET. So uh, that's where a bit of the inaccuracy starts uh, to come in. But that's something that you work on every single time you renew your carbon footprint, and that, by the way, is done once a year. For a company so you do it once a year and that's where you do all the effort to get the data together it's like a balance sheet you do that once a year for your annual report as well um, and for products it's whenever you change your 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 procurement or you change your processes then you renew the product carbon footprint so we try to keep the 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 the, the, uh, the effort down down to minimum now there are other methodologies of doing that when you're talking about automation 
Um, there are methodologies that we call, let's say, spend-based uh, um, uh, automation. It's where it's, let's say, you take not the amount of PET that you're buying, but the, the euro or the dollar amount that you're buying and assessing that with a carbon footprint. So that is very inaccurate data. And that's what we typically don't do. Um, why? Let me make an example. Uh, uh, you're, you're, let's say, um, you're in Milan and you, you need to fly. Un unfortunately, let's say you need to fly to Amsterdam from Milan. Um, and you get a, a, an EasyJet flight and you get a KLM, KLM flight. The KLM flight costs you, let's say, 600 euros and the EasyJet flight costs you 100 euros. So if you're assessing the carbon footprint by price, flying with EasyJet has a lower carbon footprint. 100 euros versus 600 euros. So that's, that does not make sense at all. It can make sense on a macroeconomic level, but not on a company level. Mm. So this thing, to be honest, can hardly be automated because it's still easier as a manual work to enter the data into the system, to collect the data once a year, rather than build interfaces for ERP systems because the accuracy won't grow, but it's a lot more work to do so. So, but it's once a year and once it's in the system, then you can start simulating and seeing how you can reduce your carbon emissions amount. And, and for that, since it's consumption-based data and you have the correct emission factors and the more primary factors, the better, the higher the accuracy. So it's, it's fairly good accuracy uh, in, in the data that we have. Mm. So focusing on the, the offset part of it, because it's like, I would say, before the label labeling and, and the communication that uh, you provide to your, your, your client, this offset part of it, like, I mean, how do you select the, the, the project and how do you ensure that uh, uh, they deliver uh, the, the, the quantity of CO2 that is actually like captured in the, you know, or expected quantity to be, uh, to be ca captured? Like, I mean, which one, are to, according to you, like the, the most interesting in terms of uh, uh, ratio of uh, amount of carbon removed, uh, speed and, and, and cost and, and where are the, those, those ones located? Yeah, that's a whole topic in itself, uh, carbon offsetting, uh, of course. So to, to put it one way in the, in the beginning, without offsetting your unabated carbon emissions, you're not doing comprehensive climate action. So you must offset unabated emissions. If we were all to offset our unabated emissions, we would have a much, much lower problem with the climate crisis at the moment. If, if you look at current prices of carbon, but that's very that's that's very status quo and ceteris paribus. If you look at that, it costs you about one percent extra of your of the price that you get for your product to offset your emissions. One percent. That's one percent global GDP on top, and 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 you actually uh, you actually offset the global carbon emissions of thirty eight gigatons, uh, thirty five gigatons a year. Imagine that. So that, that, is, that is a very uh, back of the envelope calculation, of course, because the more companies offset, the more, the more offsets you will need from, from projects, uh, from different kinds of projects, and then the prices will rise. But at least you, you get demand and supply going. It's a bit like saying, you know, if I switch completely uh, all my cars to electric vehicles, oh, the grid won't work. Well, of course not. It won't work. But you have to do everything at the same time. You have to produce more renewable energy. You have to produce more cars. You have to produce the grid in order to distribute this renewable energy. Same thing counts for uh, for offsetting. So it is absolutely necessary if you want to do comprehensive climate action to do. That's one part of actually doing so. 
Um, so what are the projects about? There is a, a system in place uh, for carbon offset projects um, that actually works extremely well. Uh, it's been proven, uh, been a proven business, uh, a proven uh, system around that, where NGOs define the rules around carbon offset projects and the technologies that are actually recognized as carbon offset projects. Um, and typically, there's two, there's, there's two uh, large NGOs that are doing that. That's the gold standard and that's the verified carbon standard. Then you have a few smaller ones as well. But those are the typical two organizations that, that we work with. They're standards organizations. And they say, if you want to set up a carbon offset project, like a clean cook stove project or a forest protection project, these are the rules by which you have to do it. Um, and uh, these rules are, the, that's those four ground rules that they have to adhere to. It's, it's, well, you have to permanently remove the carbon emissions. That has to be proven. It has to be, be verified by third parties every single year of what actually is being reduced in carbon emissions or, 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 or not produced the carbon emissions. Um, it has to be um, uh, additional. So it has to make sure that you're actually saving carbon emissions on top and that, that it's not like a profitability mechanism behind it because you have to have additional funding to, in order to save those carbon emissions. Um, and you have to avoid double counting. So I can't you know, use, you know, use one project for, for myself and use it for your business uh, to offset your emissions. You have to make sure that these four basic criteria are, are adhered to. Um, and one very, very uh, 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 critical part about this, about additionality and double counting, is that these projects can actually only take place in developing countries. So they can't take place in, 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 in the other, say, developed countries in Europe. There are some exceptions in the US, but um, in, in Europe, uh, you would not be able to set a forestation project in, in Germany because, uh, for example, or, or let's say in Belgium or in, or in, in Italy, uh, because uh, Belgium and Italy and Germany, they count for those carbon emissions that are being reduced and saved for their, their own uh, balance sheet as a, as a, as a country. So you have to work with, with company, countries in uh, developing countries, which is the whole idea, by the way, of this uh, clean development mechanism of this. That this <clears throat> we want to actually get money from industrialized countries into, uh, in, into uh, poorer countries, developing countries of this world, to enable them to develop sustainably uh, much, much, in a much better way than we did over the past uh, centuries. So that's the idea behind it. So we only work with these with these uh, company uh, with, these, with these standards, and the standards make sure that they, when they set up those standards, say this this project has to adhere to that standard. They take a third party, like a, I don't know, uh, you know, one of the big four auditors, for example, that makes sure that those criteria are upheld. And once these criteria are upheld, and you see the carbon emissions have to be saved then you can make a credit of that. And this credit is then, then tradable and retireable. Mm -hmm. So we, we retire those credits for a business to offset the emissions of their, of their business. And then you have several different technologies behind that. So I was talking about cook stoves. Well, what, why, why cook stoves? So uh, typically in, in rural areas, in areas of Africa, in, in, in Asia, in, in let's say we have a new project that is setting up in, in Nepal, they're actually they they're cooking their food uh, over open fireplaces, uh, often within huts. So uh, I don't know if you've been in an open fireplace and in, in a hut without a chimney, but that's horrible for your health conditions. Um, the second thing is, where do they get the fuel from? Well, they go out in the forest and collect it from the forest. So they're actually burning the forest uh, directly, which is is causing those huge carbon emissions. 
uh, and deterioration of biodiversity in, in the forest itself. Sometimes these people take a whole day, eight hours, nine hours a day to collect the wood to cook one meal. So no chance to go to school, no chance for doing a regular job, doing something else where they can earn money with just to cook a meal. So what do you do is you, 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 you help businesses, small businesses that produce cook stoves that are much more efficient, that use, let's say, only 40% of that, of that fuel of that wood and are built so that you can use them outside of a hut or actually have chimneys to get the, the, you know, the emissions out, 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 of the, uh, out of the hut. So all of a sudden you've cut the emissions by 60%. That's where you can get the whole mechanism to work. You've added health. You've added 60% uh, less, less work to collect the wood. Um, and you're actually uh, helping small businesses earn money with the, with the stoves that are being subsidized with the carbon credits we're using to offset the emissions. So that's how those mechanisms work. And, and you really have to make sure that these mechanisms work really including the local people that are benefiting from those, those mechanisms. And that's what we call like high quality carbon offset projects. Um, I, I was, if, if you're looking at, at um, and, and those are often avoiding carbon emission projects. Now what you're talking about also is removing carbon emissions. Removing carbon emissions, there's actually two technologies around that. There's nature-based solutions and there's tech-based solutions. The nature-based solutions are typically planting trees. Um, the problem with planting trees is if you plant a tree today, it'll take about you know, 10, 15, 20 years until actually these trees actually save the carbon emissions, which is a bit of difficulty around that mechanism. That's why you also have things like mangroves that grow much faster. You'll be able to save emissions within the next five years or bamboo in certain areas where it actually is a natural resource to reef. Always the idea is to reforest the forest in a, in, in a natural way to sequester um, that carbon. Um, and then you have technology-based, you know, direct air capture, uh, for example, and technologies around that, which are still very much in the experimental investment phase um, and, and which are much more expensive, but which we definitely need in the future. So we need a lot of investment in that to actually remove carbon emissions. Because in the end, once you're net zero, you have to remove the rest of the unabated emissions yeah. from the atmosphere and not just avoid them. So, so that's let, we, let, a lot of thought <laughs> on that, but that's how we make the quality <laughs> of those projects again. <laughs> Okay, makes sense that uh, you guys uh, are doing a, a very good job on that side. So last last question on my side, um, you know, if you can share with us a little bit about like the your competition today in the EU in the US. I mean, why you guys are are different or maybe better? How do you compare your solution to other solutions available on this uh, very crowded market? I mean, uh, there's quite a bit of uh, companies uh, proposing. Uh, you know, carbon management, carbon accounting. Um, you know, everybody is trying to uh, to create uh, to create value. Uh, tell us a bit more. Like, what's the maybe one, two, or three main differentiators? And do you believe that uh, it's a, a single single players market, or more like um, you know a market where multiple players uh, can be there to uh, to support the other companies to uh, decarbonize their operations? Yes. Yeah, so, um, if you recall the 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 supply chain, like, like, like you call it, what we actually offer to our customers. Um, it, it ranges from, you know, carbon measurement and accounting through reducing and abating carbon emissions to offsetting carbon emissions and communicating that. So those are the main, the main three pillars, if you, if you want, uh, that, that we're looking at. Um, very often, competitors to, our, to ourselves 
uh, offer singular pillars in that area. So you'll have, uh, and that's where you, where you see, where you're see, saying the market is getting very crowded is on the carbon management and, um, and, and accounting uh, systems. There you have a lot of startups, a lot of investment going into that, uh, to uh, the, where, where this measurement is taking place. Definitely, I'll, 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 I'll talk to that on that about that a little bit later. And then, then you have the whole reducing and avoiding of carbon emissions. It's a huge, 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 huge sector. And, and there's, if you're looking at competition there, it's, it, it ranges from, you know, s small consulting companies all the way up to the big four that are actually doing, and, and, and uh, strategy consulting companies that are moving into the sector that are actually consulting on how do I really reduce my carbon emissions on a, on a really a macro level? How do I change my operations as a car producing company in order to become net zero? So you, you, you'll have, you know, the big four in there, you'll have the McKinsey's, the BCG's, uh, the, and, and then the big four Deloitte's, EY's, they're all trying to get a piece of that cake and they're all, they all, we all need very in-depth consulting there as well. Uh, so that is in that sense, somehow also a bit of our competition, whereas we don't, we don't do that in-depth of the consulting as say Deloitte would, right? Um, and then you have the carbon offset part and, and the carbon offset part is they have, we have many carbon offset project developers um, out there that are developing fantastic projects and that are really, really good at that um, as well. Uh, I think where we're unique about is like I said, the whole bandwidth of, of this and combining it with software uh, with the reduction and the, and the offsetting uh, part of things. Um, looking again at the first part, measuring and, and carbon management, if you look very closely, you'll see that a lot of the startups coming about are, are looking at the measuring of carbon footprints of digital businesses, let's say tech companies and services, which is, I don't want to be disrespectful there, but it's fairly easy to carbon footprint a, a tech business or a service company, as opposed to a, a manufacturing company that has multiple manufacturing facilities across the globe. It's a very different topic there. It took us very many years to build solutions in different industries that are industry specific. So carbon footprinting, I don't know, let's say a, a, a delivery service is fairly easy as compared to a carbon footprinting, uh, you know, uh, a pizza producer, <laughs> a large, large food producer behind it and, and say, how, how, how do I get the carbon footprint of that done in a, in a manageable and, 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 and easy and accessible way? Um, and, and supporting that with software. So that's a huge, it's exp exponential complexity mm. in there. Um, and that's where we differentiate ourselves, having this knowledge already in place where there's a lot of catch up to do uh, mm. there, there with others. Um, I think that's, so, and, and like some companies that are very similar to ours, I would say there's there's two or three out there that, that are similar to us. That, that And so I think there's room for several companies there's a lot of consolidation going on out there mm -hmm. um but it's not a single fix all uh, there's enough to do for all of us out there so thank you so much last question on uh, on my side uh, i know we are uh, as usual running a little bit a uh, little bit out of time but um, what, what's your personal opinion on the on the climate climate crisis i mean um, what would be your words to people who feel demoralized by all the visible consequences and all of those alarming news that uh, we have constantly, I mean, as I always ask, are we doomed? Uh, what do you, what do you want to tell them? So 
you know there's an experiment with the with, with the frog uh, in the in the water the boiling water um so if you have a, a boiling water and you, you, or hot water it doesn't have to be boiling water if you have hot water and you throw a frog into the hot water it'll jump out right away um because it feels the hot water if, if you have the frog in the water and you slowly heat the water and turns hot it won't move um and we're a bit in the situation of, of the latter right if the, 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 the things that are happening or changing over the past decades have not affected us strongly and we're saying well what's what's the problem you know we have a little more rain in california now this winter um a little more snow or, or we have a uh, yeah, there was a big blizzard in New York, uh, in, in Buffalo, a few weeks ago, uh, right? So it's changing, though. It's it's changing. The consumer awareness, the, the awareness of the individual is is getting much more acute. Um, I, I remember the, the fact and the, one of the reasons why Greta Thunberg hit the streets and started striking uh, for, for more climate action, that was in 2018, and that was a, there was a huge drought in Europe at the time. I remember there's a photograph from a German astronaut that uh, he took a picture of, 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 of Europe and it looked like 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 Africa, like North, like like you know it was everything was brown. So we are all of a sudden seeing the consequences of climate action, and we're all of a sudden talking about not not abating and and, and not mitigating, but but financing you know the the destruction that's happening and and, and how to how to actually cope with climate action. So now um, I think the world is waking up to what, what's happening. Um, and, and, and there's a lot more pressure from media, from consumers, from Generation Z, from investors, from, uh, from politicians to actually change things. Um, so there is awareness finally there. And, it's, and the, the first thing to take a step to do something about something is if you're aware of it. You know, you only start running, going, start going, going to jog if you're aware that oh my gosh, I really put on a few too, too many pounds, and my friends are telling me, yeah, you're fat, go 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 run. That's when you start to go running. You don't necessarily do it on your own, right? So now the awareness is there, and people are taking action. The second thing, what I'm very optimistic about, is uh, the singularity effect of technology that you have. So. Uh, if, if you look back at the way the technology has developed in the past years, uh, in every standpoint where we are as persons, we only we think linearly. Uh, a person thinks linearly and taking what has happened in the past and linearly projects the development of the future. If you look at every single point in time, this development in technology is exponential. So you would not have been able to say that, that uh, you, you know, uh, say in the 50s, you wouldn't have thought that you would be flying to the, to the moon in the 60s. So, um, and that's what's happening with, with uh, the this, this singularity effect as well at the moment. I believe that if we open the pathways to investment into new technology, to climate tech, that we as uh, human beings, as a race, as a human being, uh, as a species, sorry, as a species, will be able to come up with the solutions that we need uh, to actually uh, abate carbon emissions, to become more fuel efficient and actually to, to produce uh, green energy for most of the things and solutions out there and actually produce technological solutions for other for agricultural, for, for, for industrial processes that reduce carbon emissions or avoid carbon emissions in the first place. But that needs awareness. The awareness needs investment. If the investment is there, I'm, I'm, I'm truly optimistic that we can actually uh, beat this climate crisis. 
um, in the near future. So how can our listeners of uh, you know, founders, investors, experts on the, the world can help you today? How can they help us today? Um, I think I think what the the and that's an interesting thing um, that you see in in, in 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 sports, kind of like the Olympic idea around it. You know, if you if you go to the Olympics, it's it's mostly not about competing against the other person. It's about being there together. And then the one person is you know might be get gold medal, the other person might get the silver medal. But in the end, it's about the Olympic thought of actually taking participating in the whole effort, actually being there. And that's what I feel in the climate realm and the climate tech realm is we're not competing with one another we're working together with one another and that's what we need um, and and we're reaching out to one another to help each other to to get those technologies and get this this movement forward um, and wherever uh, we can see that this, this this helping one another to get access to i don't know access to capital access to customers access to to uh, new ideas, access to, to, to projects and, and, and development and collaboration across uh, across supply chains. That is, I think, where we can all help each other in this climate tech realm. Thank you so much, Tristan, for uh, your time, uh, for your incredible insights in the, on the industry. Uh, again, I'm super excited to see uh, so many you know, brilliant people like you uh, taking uh, the time and putting so much time and energy and effort uh, into, uh, into the fighting the climate crisis, uh, and especially uh, in your case, in enabling uh, other companies to, uh, to have a larger impact. So thank you so much. Yom, thank you very much for having me. It was fantastic. Thanks for the great questions and uh, good luck and, and thanks for what you're doing. Thanks again for joining us on the Tech for Climate podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more Climate Tech Insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and see you next time.